Hello and welcome to Trade Tips from the World Bank Group. I'm Sarah Trino. This is the podcast that tackles some of the big issues in the world of trade and explores the solutions. In this episode, bananas and blight, why the world's most popular fruit is facing a devastating disease. Some are even cautioning the end of bananas as we know them. It is just incredible how this disease has come into Africa, the Middle East, Latin America. So it is happening and it's usually because of human mistake. And it's preventing these organisms from moving across borders. That's that's so important. They fight with the disease. They lost the farm. We explore why banana exports are so important for many economies and why border policies and measures to prevent the spread of disease are crucial to this and so many other exports around the globe. We hear from Mozambique, South Africa and from the World Bank in Washington, D.C. That's all coming up on the podcast. Trade tips. Trade tips. Trade tips. Bananas, the world's most exported fruit, a staple crop for many countries across parts of Asia, Central America and Africa. Bananas went from being a luxury good in the US and Europe throughout much of the early 20th century to becoming a fruit bowl staple. Bananas are a phenomenal success story and the global trade in bananas is worth in the tens of billions, employing millions at every stage of the supply chain. However, to satisfy the appetite of global consumers who prefer a uniform-looking yellow-skinned smooth banana on their supermarket shelf, almost all banana exports are the Cavendish variety. And growing only one type of fruit can make it easy for disease to spread. Now, before the Cavendish, the main banana export to high-income countries used to be the Grosse Michel. But... By the 1920s, a strain of Fusarium fungus called Tropical Race 1, which causes Panama disease, started wiping out plantations at an astonishing rate. So, in the 1950s, we saw the introduction of the TR1-resistant Cavendish. So far, so good. Well, unfortunately, a new strain, TR4, is spreading fast, including to northern Mozambique, where we'll head now. We have no bananas today. I will walk now here (laughs) through a path in the farm. Hi, Sarah. Uh, My name is Gladys Tassan. I am the original from Ecuador, but uh, now 12 years working here in North Mozambique for the company Yacaranda Monapo Limitada. I am placed in the Nampula province and I am the general manager uh, for this farm. So we are in the peak of the dry season, uh, waiting for rain. I asked Gladys to explain to me how important banana production is in this area of Mozambique. Yes, the normal production or the traditional smallholders, they are surviving with uh, corn, uh, cassava, gergeli, and some rain-fed crops that they can only uh, develop during the rain. The rest of the year, they don't have any other income. Bananas is a production that you need people whole year around. 
We have a thousand employees. One employee have around seven family members here in this country. So the impact is huge. This farm, we have nine communities and the, the only work that they can have it along the year is the bananas. So what about this farm and Panama disease, TR4? Gladys explains the threat. We are facing the disease here of Fusarium tropical race 4, which uh, was introduced in 2013 at this farm uh, with the anterior, previous owner uh, called Matanuska. They fight with the disease for four years and in 2018 they declared ban road. They lost the farm basically. We took the farm over and from then we have rehabilitated the farm. So Gladys and her colleagues have turned around this farm. What kinds of measures have helped keep the fungus out? Biosecurity measures apply were completely fencing one unique entrance, quarantine farm. So nobody can come in into the farm without changing boots. Inside the farm, we can only use our internal vehicles. After, from 2018 till now, using um, the tolerant variety for tier four, using, uh, working with the soil, uh, we have rehabilitated the farm and we are in full, full production now. Uh, producing, our target will be around 200 tonnes per week. Gladys says the farm has actually paused exports due to ongoing supply chain issues and scarcity of shipping routes, but they hope to ramp that up again. Uh, we exported in reefer containers, in wash, the, the fruit is washing. Tier 4 is a fungus of, for the soil. So the, all the fruit that we export was from healthy plants, and we get, wash it in our packing houses and put it in directly in boxes, carton boxes in a reefer containers. And the reefer containers were washed wash at, um, at the entrance of the farm with uh, chemicals for disinfection. So that's one incredible story of how a farm went from bankrupt to profitable again through strict protocols. Let's head to South Africa now for more context on the banana blight and global trade. I'm Altus Filyun. And I'm Dion Worcester. And we're both from the Stellenbosch University, which is about 50 kilometers from Cape Town. So we see headlines about a banana apocalypse. Are they accurate? How serious is the disease? It's a serious disease, make no mistake. We have seen big plantations of 1,500 hectares being destroyed within four years. The economic impact and the impact on job losses is just tremendous. So if this disease is moving into plantations where you have susceptible bananas, uh, resistant and susceptible bananas, but if it's susceptible like the Cavendish, then it can cause disaster. And the problem is that you cannot eradicate this pathogen because it lives in the soil and it can survive for for many decades in the soil afterwards. So, you know, if you go to Latin America, if it goes into those monoculture plantations, it can cause a disaster and it will affect the, the country's economies. And if you bring it into Africa, those are small-scale growers that cannot protect themselves. So certainly it might threaten livelihoods. So what about measures at borders, for example, to keep the disease out of new countries? While there are limited 
ways that you can introduce it. It is just incredible how these diseases come into Africa, the Middle East, Latin America. So it is happening, and it's usually because of human mistake. So procedures at border posts are very, very important, but it's not easy to stop this disease from spreading. I think the golden standard really is the Australian biosecurity system. The project that we're involved in right now, where we're trying to look at what we can do in small-scale biosecurity systems, is basically we're we're coupled with them because there's such a a golden standard of a system to prevent um, pathogens of biosecurity um, concern. I mean, it's, it's both that... They have so much capacity to deal with such such pathogens and pests and also all of their expertise and then the amount of money that they've invested. And I think it's not really a reality, you know, that type of response is not really a reality that we can directly apply in, in Africa per se, where where governments just don't have that amount of, of money to invest and the capacity available. And maybe Sarah, at this stage, I have to tell you that we are fortunate that it hasn't spread outside northern Mozambique yet. But once it does, it, it can be disastrous. Treat anything or to try to, to stop the disease from spreading is going to be a very tough task for us. Thanks both fascinating insights. So that's the banana, but what about everything else? Let's head to Washington DC to find out. Okay. Um, so I'm Shane Sella. I'm an SPS specialist working for the World Bank. Shane, what does SPS mean? SPS is, relates to sanitary and phytosanitary measures. People are usually familiar with the border agent who asks them about you know, whether they're bringing apples or uh, meat products or cheese or something like that when they're when they're coming into a, a new country. That's really all about SPS. SPS is is intended to prevent uh, the movement of pests and diseases, and things that uh, that affect human health. But we're not just talking about diseases that impact crops, are we? Some diseases of uh, animals can spread to humans, and so these zoonotics, as they're called, are are very serious concern. And, you know, COVID is kind of a, an example of one where the likelihood is that it originated in, in animals and then spread to humans. And and it's preventing these these organisms from moving across borders. That's, that's so important. Shane says that, interestingly, climate change has made threats from SPS issues really urgent and even harder to predict. You know, as time has gone by, the changes in climate also provide an environment which is now more adapted to certain organisms becoming more established. We look at um, the movement of, let's say, organisms in, in Africa, where the ability for, the, for organisms to become well-established and you know, expand has changed quite dramatically, let's say, in the last 20 years. One example, says Shane, is something called full armyworm. It's, it's kind of a, a classic example now. Sorry, what's so? Explain that disease, Shane. Sure. So it's 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 basically a caterpillar, and, and it eats it eats its corn uh, or maize, and and maize is a huge huge staple in Africa, and so production of maize is critically important, and so it's a real threat to to food security in in Africa. But you know, its expansion has also now expanded across uh, across a number of countries in South Asia as well. 
once you know benign pest is now you know occurring across many many ranges climate change brings a significant level of uncertainty and so uh, for most SPS agencies the challenge is to factor in that uncertainty and to make decisions based upon it this is even more exacerbated by the fact that in, in developing countries, the capacities and the, and the resources available to undertake you know, complex uh, assessments of what could potentially happen when an organism crosses a border is, is that much harder. And, and so it, it makes it even more challenging for countries to actually be on the forefront of that. So it's a tricky balance then. Trade is good for economies. We want trade, but countries need to manage the risk. The WTO SPS agreement, the WTO trade facilitation agreement, all encourage facilitating trade while ensuring that you're protecting and protecting your country from the pests and diseases that occur. And, and so, you know, it is a it is a tricky balance. I'm not sure I'll be able to take my shop bought bananas for granted in the same way after that. That's all from this episode of Trade Tips from the World Bank Group. I'm Sarah Trino. Do check out more of our podcasts. We have some great stories to tell you from an exploration of trade and climate, why technology matters, and what we can all learn about trade facilitation from Caribbean rum cake. Join us again soon.